0: Genesis chapter 27 is a great chapter to use if you are going to teach a lesson on tampering with God's will and the consequences of doing so. Every single one of the four members of Isaac's family attempted to tamper with God's will. And the seriousness of their sins is very sadly recorded as a vivid warning to all of us not to do these things. Isaac tampered with God's will by trying to bypass it he attempted to do what he wanted which was to give his paternal patriarchal blessing to Esau instead of doing what God wanted him to do which was to give it to Jacob Rebecca's sin was her attempt to work out God's will her way which was through what? deception purposeful deception she coerced Jacob her son into pretending to be her other son Esau and thereby received the father's blessing in a very dishonest way Jacob tampered with God's will by trying to secure God's will through lying and likewise deception Esau's sin which we really haven't um, covered that much. We didn't talk about him that much in our lesson last week. But his sin was really indifference to God's will. So all four members of this family had to bear the consequences of their sins. That's what we'll look at this morning. And those consequences varied in detail, but one thing they all had in common was that they all suffered from a divided family. Now this was our lesson for last week. We had looked at um, the first 27 verses of chapter 27, which we had divided. We divided the whole chapter in four parts. Last week, we got through almost all of part three. We discussed Isaac and his dimmed vision and Rebecca and her determined venture and Jacob and his deceptive victory. We didn't quite get to the end, though there were five divisions under part three. Well, let me review. We, we talked about deceptive conversation, deceptive covering, deceptive cooking, in, and his deceptive kiss. Now, today, in part two of our study, we'll look at verses 28 to 46, the rest of the chapter, and see, we're continuing part three. This time, we're looking at the fifth subdivision called divine consecration. That's actually when Isaac speaks the words of the blessing to Jacob thinking that he's giving the blessing to Esau and then we'll look at the fourth part of our overall outline as we look at Esau I just realized I spelled his name wrong Esau the deadly vengeance so let's begin by looking at uh, the divine consecration or the blessing in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 27 starting in verse 28 Here's where Isaac opens his mouth and begins the blessing. He's convinced now that Jacob is actually Esau. So here's the blessing he gives to him. He says, therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee well the blessing here which Isaac is pronouncing on his son mentioned three things prosperity prosperity in crops we could say and power that's the second thing power over nations and also power over his own brethren and third divine preference That has to do with the curse and the blessing on the descendants of Abraham. Now, it's interesting to notice that uh, although Isaac did a very sinful thing here when he gave the blessing to to, uh, Jacob because he was willfully intending it for Esau, yet we find some interesting and obvious omissions in this blessing. Some things that he did not say. And in these omissions, we can't help but wonder if Isaac was actually attempting to partially honor Jacob's legal purchase of the birthright. Remember when he had bought the birthright from his brother brother Esau back at the end of chapter 25. Esau sold it for a pot of uh, red lentil soup. So it seems as if Isaac was... Partially honoring that transaction Although Isaac's blessing spoke of great moisture Which is what is meant when he said You know the dew of heaven So a land where there would be a lot of rainfall And he also speaks of the Fertileness of the ground And that's what's meant by the expression Fatness of the earth So a lot of moisture and good fertile soil He talks about that And great prosperity for crops You know good harvest of crops Yet, we find that there is nothing explicit said about the gift of the land or even the material inheritance of Isaac's property. It's also interesting to think about the fact that heavy moisture, a lot of rainfall and fertile land and even great harvests would not be of much concern or interest to the nomadic cunning hunter Esau. But these factors of nature, you know, a lot of rainfall and good fertile soil and a lot of crops, that would be of interest to the settled farmer, Jacob. So Isaac's remark was actually, this part of the blessing was actually much more appropriate for which son? More appropriate really for Jacob than it was for Esau, although he thinks he is giving the blessing to Esau. So we see kind of how God is overriding this. Now the second part of Isaac's blessing dealt with power. It gave political power to the recipient who of course we know was Jacob. It prophesied that Jacob's descendants would become a national power which other people would serve and other nations would bow down to. Now since Isaac thought that the recipient here was Esau, he was intentionally saying that Jacob would serve and bow down before Esau. It was a, a sinful, very sinful defiance of God's revealed word, God's will. Remember, God had clearly stated back in Genesis 25, 23 that the elder would serve the younger. So Isaac here is... is is purposely attempting to alter God's will and to have Jacob serve Esau, doing the exact opposite of what God had prophesied. Now, the third aspect of Isaac's blessing has to do with divine preference. He said, to the one he thought was Esau, he said, cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Now, this divine formula of preference For the Jewish people began with God. I mean, God spoke these words, and who did he initially speak them to? Right, Abraham, back in Genesis 12, verse 3. This formula, this divine formula of preference for the Jewish nation and the Jewish people has never been negated, and it has never been changed. Nations and individuals in every single generation who have ever attempted to go against this particular promise of God made to the Jewish people have found the truth of this statement absolutely, positively, to be valid. Now, there, And there have been some terrible, terrible prices to pay. And there will continue to be some terrible consequences to pay, pray, pay for those who oppose and persecute God's people in God's land of Israel which, as you know in the news, is happening all too frequently. But even though it looks like the enemy may be winning, believe me, God's promise is still apropos for today, and there will be consequences. Those who curse God's people will be cursed in the long run, and that's why I say pray for the United States of America that we will always stay on the side of Israel. That is our greatest divine protection of all. So, it's interesting to notice that there is nothing explicit said in uh, Isaac's blessing about numerous descendants, you know, as the um, stars of the heaven. Is anything said in the blessing about that? No. These are some of the omissions, I said, that are just not here. There is nothing said about the gift of the promised land. There is nothing about being a blessing to all of the nations or all of the families of the earth. Which, and, and these are all some of the standard ingredients of the Abrahamic covenant blessing. But these things are not said. So this tells us that at least in part, Isaac was honoring the spiritual aspect of the birthright transaction. He did not give the promise of either the land or of the Messiah to the one who he thought was Esau. So do you see what I'm saying? He's partly honoring that birthright transaction, which had taken place many years earlier, which Esau had even um, sealed with his own oath. However, as I mentioned, Isaac's words here still incriminated him because he did deliberately defy God's word about the elder serving the younger. And he did include part of the Abrahamic covenant promise about divine preference You know, the cursing and the blessing, which was to have been for who? For Jacob, not Esau. Now, of course, Jacob received it anyway, (laughs) but that was no thanks to Isaac because that was not Isaac's intention. He was giving that cursing and blessing thing to Esau. He thought he was. It gets very confusing. (laughs) Now, also, Isaac was completely wrong. In attempting to give the patriarchal blessing um, to Esau in the first place, he shouldn't have been giving this blessing to Esau at all because Esau had already proven that he despised God's plans, which had been revealed to his grandfather Abraham. And he, he revealed this when he despised his birthright. And again, how did he demonstrate it? When he married to. Hittite women so Esau was disqualified from receiving the blessing both by way of divine decree and also by way of his own performance but in spite of everything Isaac did pronounce the blessing on the one that he thought was Esau and even though he was attempting to thwart God's plans and God's will what did he actually do he actually helped to fulfill God's plans and God's will With regard to Jacob, you know, man can deceive himself, and that's really what Isaac did most of all. He deceived himself into thinking he could alter God's will, God's plan. That's the biggest deception of all, thinking you can change God's will or change God's word. You can't. So he, he had to have a lot of pride to think he could do that. But man can deceive himself as Isaac really did in thinking that he could change God's plans. And who else can man deceive? Right, man can deceive his fellow man, but no man can deceive God. Not only was God in control of the words of Isaac here, but we find that he was also in control of the timing of Isaac, because no sooner was Isaac finished speaking his blessing upon Jacob, then, and Jacob was out the door, then who do you think arrives on the scene? I mean, we're just talking about a matter of a few seconds here. God was truly protecting Jacob. Even in his wrongdoing, God was protecting Jacob. Because if Esau had come and found Jacob in there, on his knees, in front of his father, dressed in his clothes, in Esau's clothes, what do you think Esau might have, in getting his blessing, what he thought was his blessing, what do you think Esau would have done? I think he probably would have killed him right there on the spot. We know he was a much bigger, brawnier man than Jacob. He probably would have killed him. So God was protecting even in the timing. So let's look now at the fourth main section of our two-part outline, Esau and the Deadly Vengeance. And under this section, we're going to look at four subdivisions. We'll look at the realization. That's the realization of what had happened um In this whole episode, uh, Isaac's realization, first of all, and then we'll look at Esau's. And then we'll look at the resentment, which, of course, Esau has for his brother. Then Esau's remorse. And then finally, we'll look at the results, the consequences of all this for Esau and for Jacob and also for Rebekah. So let's begin with the realization, verses 30 to 35. And it came to pass... As soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat, and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. Well, with, with a great sigh. Of relief, Here he is, old Isaac. <laughs> we can imagine that uh, Jacob scrambled from his father's tent just as soon as the blessing was over. You know, glad to have finished with the whole matter before his brother arrived. Don't you know that, as we said last week, Jacob and Rebekah were just panicking that this thing was taking so long because they knew Esau could arrive at any minute. So once it's over, Jacob just... He, he just gets out of there in a big hurry and and then we can also assume that Isaac probably also sighed with relief that it was finally over to his thinking he had just given the blessing to Esau and was probably very glad that nothing had happened God had not interfered at least he thought and Rebecca, his wife, had not interfered. You know, he had gotten away with it without her knowing, or at least he thought. Perhaps then, Isaac might have thought to himself that God was okay with what he had done. You know, maybe it was all right to have blessed Esau and to have made him ruler over his brother. Maybe Rebecca, you know, maybe she hadn't quite heard correctly all those many years before when God had spoken to her when she was pregnant. I mean, after all, you know how women are when they're pregnant. Now, maybe he was thinking, well, she just really didn't hear it right. (laughs) Perhaps then, once it was over, Isaac, who had been well-fed already with uh, one pot of of his favorite savory venison, maybe he lay down to take a nap. Satisfied in having dispensed of his duty and pleased with the outcome. And perhaps he was just beginning to nod off to sleep. You know, it doesn't take a 137-year-old man very long to do that, especially when his tummy is full. So he's just nodding off to sleep when suddenly, just moments after Jacob had left, the tent flap was raised again and the boisterous voice, which he knew so well, suddenly spoke out let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that my thy soul may bless thee now don't you know that isaac's old brain <laughs> and his old heart must have both started racing like crazy you know when all kinds of thoughts suddenly penetrated his brain cells you know you can almost hear the panic in his voice when he said, already knowing the answer, when he said, who art thou? The, and this time, guess what? The answer and the voice perfectly matched. You know, no need to test this thing out with his senses. No empirical test was, was needed. There was no voice of Jacob and hands of Esau this time. He knew that voice. The voice that said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. He also knew in an instant that he had not gotten away with his disobedience to God. Now the scripture tells us that Isaac trembled exceedingly. I didn't read it. Oh, I didn't. Okay. 32 through 35. I'm sorry. Let's go read that. It says, And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. All right. You notice in verse 33 where it says that Isaac trembled with exceeding, or trembled very exceeding, exceedingly. There the Hebrew is extremely strong. It's very graphic also because it actually means that Isaac trembled most excessively with a great trembling. His old frame was shaking from top to bottom. And this was a trembling of conviction. It was a trembling over knowing that what he had attempted to do was a grave serious sin against God it was an awakening conviction if you want another name for it awakening conviction in his trembling Isaac could barely speak clearly and we hear this you know we hear his anguish and we hear his confusion really in his his questions because what does he say or what does he ask he says who and then he says where he's all confused and he's just totally uh in anguish here he says who where where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me and i've eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him you know even in asking these questions it was obvious to isaac as we we'll, as we see in verse 35 that he knew exactly now what had happened jacob had come to him pretending to be esau his you know his sixth sense had told him that all along hadn't it really had told him that we saw this last week if you weren't here you get the tape Um, but he hadn't listened to his sixth sense just as he had not paid attention to what his ears told him because his ears told him it was the voice of Jacob and yet the other deceptions had done their job successfully and he Isaac had been beaten at his own game He had attempted to thwart God's plans, but God fulfilled his plans anyway, in spite of all of that. Now, we would almost think that Isaac's tremendous shaking here would be due to anger, you know, anger with Jacob and what he had done, you know, how he had deceived him and lied to him. How many times? Wasn't it a total of five times he lied to him? And you would think also that his shaking would be uh, in, in anger to, um, in anger with Rebecca, because he would have realized that she had been in on this deception, or would think that maybe the shaking had to do with his concern and his pain about Esau, who had missed out on, on what he had wanted to do for him. However. When we look at the end of verse 32 and the words that Isaac spoke to Esau with regard to Jacob, those words are yea and he shall be blessed." When we look at those words as well as Isaac's actions and his words in the rest of this chapter, and also when we look at like the first five verses of the next chapter, chapter 28, We find that his trembling was primarily caused not by anger and not by concern for Esau, but by conviction. In a moment's time, Isaac realized that God himself had spoken to him in judgment and that he had brought great danger to himself by deliberately ignoring the revealed will of God. So in his words, yea, and he shall be blessed, we find a rude and sudden awakening from years of spiritual slumber in Isaac. He was shaken alive. This is good news, actually. He was shaken alive to spiritual truths, and he was at the same time brought to see the terrible shame and sin of what he had tried to do in fulfilling a holy duty in a carnal way. He had totally been acting in the flesh, and God had overruled him. In a miraculous way, then Isaac's dimmed vision, his dimmed spiritual vision, was instantly healed. Now he could see his eyes were open and under the control of Holy Spirit conviction... He confirmed to Esau that his blessing on Jacob would remain. That's what he means when he says, yea, and he shall be blessed. Finally, now finally, Isaac's conduct was again beginning to shine. And aren't you glad about that? You know, that he, he didn't end Real poorly, he he had his vision renewed to him. He's beginning to shine, and just as uh, well, not quite as much as on Mount Moriah, but he's again seen submitting to the will of God. There is true repentance here for Isaac, true repentance because the Isaac acquiesced to God's will, even though it went against his own desire, because he really wanted the blessing for Esau. He's firm, he says he will not take back the blessing that he had pronounced on Jacob. So here then is the scene in which Isaac's faith is exonerated in the famous Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Faith chapter. You know, Hebrews 11 says, if you want to turn over there real quick and keep your finger in Genesis 27, it says in Hebrews eleven twenty. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. This tells us that Isaac recognized his terrible disobedience. And in faith, he kept the blessing that he had pronounced upon Jacob. So, was this true repentance? Yes, it was, and God gives him credit for his faith in keeping the blessing on on Jacob that he had really intended for Esau. In fact, in Genesis chapter 28, which we won't get to until the fall, but um, I hope you don't forget all this by then, but in verses 3 and 4, Isaac even pronounced additional blessings on Jacob. Blessings which were more specifically related to the Abrahamic covenant promises. Um, He he blesses him regarding having innumerable descendants. He blesses him regarding the messianic lineage, you know, that, that the Christ, the promised seed of the woman, would come through him. And also, he blesses him and gives him possession of the promised land. So that's good. The result for Isaac of this whole episode is good news. I wish it was so for the other three characters, but it's not. Well, we have to... um, We've taken a look now at the reaction of Isaac when he realized that he had given the blessing to Jacob, and it was a good reaction, so that's the good news. He finally woke up spiritually and put an end to his rebellion. However, the consequences of his many years in uh, being in a spiritual stupor and of his purposeful disobedience. You know, he's forgiven and he's, he's renewed in his fellowship with the Lord, but you always live with the consequences of your sin, right? So the consequences of what he has done would be felt for years and also even, we could say, for millenniums to come. Now next, in verse 34, we find the initial reaction of Esau we've looked at the reaction of um, Isaac let's look at the reaction of Esau as he also realizes what has occurred in his absence when he had gone out to get the, the venison as he stood there in front of his father venison in hand and watched his father's intense quaking and shaking you know the little old man is just shaking like a leaf And then as he heard words about someone having received the blessing in his place, Esau was momentarily stunned. It would have taken, you know, a minute or two for the truth to dawn on him that his father had given the blessing to his brother. He probably guessed that it was Jacob, you know, right away. And yet uh, his first response was, was actually not words against Jacob. But his first response is a great and exceeding bitter cry. And this is interesting because the Hebrew word for cry is literally a scream. Can't you just see it? Big old macho Esau screaming. <laughs> he, init- he just screamed. Now the New Testament tells us <clears throat> that he tried desperately to change his father's mind. You can read that in Hebrews 12:17. It says uh, literally he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. What that means is that he found no way to change his father's mind even though he sought to do so with abundant tears. Esau was broken-hearted absolutely. But unfortunately, he was not broken-hearted over his own sin. He was crying tears of regret because he had missed out on receiving the material benefits of the blessing. He was not crying because he realized his own sin against God in trying to take from Jacob that which was already his, Jacob's, by divine decree. So the man who had despised his birthright and married two Hittite women was now reaping what he had sown the road to sin will always always sooner or later lead to bitter crying and just read about what goes on in the lake of fire wailing and gnashing of teeth and screaming road to sin will always sooner or later lead to bitter crying and screaming and the agony that we see going on in esau here those who make their bed of sin will eventually have to lie in it Esau's sin had been indifference to God's will he didn't care about God's will enough to change his lifestyle and put God as a a priority in his life and yet he cried and he carried on when he didn't get God's blessings do you know any people like that (laughs) I mean he was actually like most people in this world he wanted to enjoy both the desires of his own flesh and the blessings of God. You know, he wanted his cake and to eat it too. He wanted the blessing, but he didn't want to become the kind of man God could bless. And that approach to life forgets one very important thing. It forgets that the desires and will of the flesh are at enmity with the desires and the will of God. Esau could not despise his birthright live a selfish lifestyle with no concern whatsoever for God's standards of holiness, conspire with his father to cheat Jacob out of what was rightfully his by purposely ignoring God's will in the matter, and yet still think that he deserved the blessing. But that's exactly what he did. His crying and his carrying on were simply his fleshly efforts to, to repent, but not spiritually repent, just repent in a fleshly way. (laughs) And to get his, actually they were really to get his father to give him the blessing in spite of what had already happened. You see, his thinking, Esau's thinking, was that since his father had not intended to give the blessing to Jacob, that surely he could just retract those words and bless Esau instead, you know, just say, well, I didn't mean that. you deceived me. Those words are taken back, and now I will bless the son I intend to bless. And this thinking here of Esau really even further demonstrates to us how little Esau understood God and how little he understood God's sovereignty. He did not understand, as Isaac his father did, that God had overruled the entire episode, so that his will, God's will, was accomplished in spite of man's evil intentions. Esau did not understand that Isaac could not change the blessing even if he had wanted to. I mean, after all, he had already tried to do that, hadn't he? because he, he, he didn't want to do it God's way. And he had tried to change God's will, but he had already failed. So Esau did not understand that his father couldn't give him the blessing. And he didn't understand that his father no longer wanted to. You know, he no longer wanted to contradict the will of God. That he had had his spiritual eyes opened to see his own sinfulness in this matter. But there could hardly be, you know, at this point in time, there could hardly be any way for Isaac the father to explain all of this to his carnal, worldly-minded son Esau. Things had just gone too far. Also, in that state of mind, there was no way Esau would have an open mind to even listen. So the only explanation Isaac could give his eldest son, was the fact of what had happened he explained to him what had happened he said thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing verse 36 the light the light had dawned on isaac and he knew exactly you see what had happened and how he had been beguiled by jacob Esau's tears of remorse, see, they're not tears of repentance, they are tears of remorse and regret, could not bring him the blessing no matter how loud or how long he cried and carried on. So now knowing what had transpired during, you know his departure to go and get some venison, Esau next, Revealed the immense resentment that he had toward his twin brother. So we'll look at the resentment in verse 36. It says, uh, and he, this is Esau speaking, is not he rightfully named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? His tears had not been in sorrow for having sinned, all right? They were in sorrow for having missed the blessing and the material benefits which came from it. And we know this, how? We know this because Esau immediately blamed his brother for everything. You know, he didn't blame himself, he blamed his brother, and he blamed his brother falsely, by the way. It's it's clear to us that Esau did not repent because those who are genuinely repentant are concerned about whose sins? Their own. They are not, as Esau here, concerned about the sins of others. They are uh, concerned about their own sins. They put the blame on themselves. They don't try to put the blame on somebody else. Esau here is blaming his brother He, he uh, first of all he noted the relevance of his brother's name Jacob because uh, he said that Jacob had supplanted him or tripped him up two times remember Jacob's name means heel catcher or supplanter Esau said that Jacob had taken away his birthright and now he had also taken away his blessing now was this true you're right. It was not true at all. Neither, neither part of this was true. In the birthright trading situation, Esau had not been tricked. He had not been deceived. He knew fair and square what the proposal was. You know, his brother said, I'll give you this pot of red beans if you'll give me your birthright. And Esau willingly made that exchange, and he even sealed it with his own oath. He actually cared so little for the spiritual concerns attached to the birthright that he gave it up for just one meal. And even not even that great of a meal. Didn't even have meat in it. It was just red beans. So he had no right to complain about losing his birthright, and he had no right to blame Jacob for the fact that he himself had thought so little of his birthright that he gave it away so easily and, and for such a little trade. Esau made a second false accusation. first one was about the birthright. The second one was when he said, "'Behold, now he hath taken away my blessing.'" That accusation is false because the blessing was not Esau's. It was rightfully whose? It was rightfully Jacob's. By God's decree. Isaac and Esau were the ones, you see, the father and, and the oldest son were the ones who were attempting to take away Jacob's blessing. They, so they had no leg to stand on here when it came to accusing Jacob. Of being subtle and beguiling because what had they done? They had conspired together in secret to cheat Jacob out of what was rightfully his. So Esau had no business complaining about his brother and the appropriateness of his name, Jacob's name, when really he, Esau, was the supplanter with his father to take something away from Jacob. Esau never lost the blessing because of the fact that the blessing was never his to to lose. It was never his in the first place. He was, again, merely reaping what he himself had sown. So, that's the resentment. Let's look at the remorse. Verses 37 and 38. 37 and 38. And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Can almost kind of feel sorry for the guy there as he carries on so much. Well, it must have been quite another awakening for Isaac to experience, you know, his strong and macho son screaming like a woman, crying like a baby, and begging, you know, like a dog, <laughs> begging for him to change his mind. Even though Isaac was blind. Perhaps his spiritual eyes were finally, finally open to see his favorite son for what he truly was. I mean, he was carnal, he was selfish, and here he's kind of almost acting very immature, acting rather like a baby. At the end of verse 36, Esau begged his father for some kind of blessing. However, his father quickly told him in essence that the portion of the blessing which Esau he knew would be interested in, most interested in, which was that of political superiority and lordship over his brother Jacob, that that had already been given to his twin brother. It was over and God had had his way. There was nothing that Isaac could do about it. It was settled on earth as it had been decreed in heaven. Now, Isaac may have felt remorse and regret for Esau, but God's will had been done and there was nothing that he could or he would do about it. Esau then, it says, continued to beg his father in verse 38, saying, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And then we're told that he lifted up his voice and he wept. And literally the word for wept means sobs of despair. It's the same term that was used for Hagar when she was sobbing and crying out in the wilderness, thinking Ishmael was going to die when he was a, a young boy, about 14. Same word there, same expression. Esau's remorse could do nothing at all to gain him the spiritual blessing, as is true with all men who only feel remorse and regret uh, over their sins, but not true repentance. There's nothing, you know, that they can do to bring the blessing. Repentance is what brings spiritual blessing. But Esau demonstrated not one ounce of repentance here. It's interesting to me how he begged his father with the words, Hast thou but one blessing, um, when he certainly, absolutely showed no concern previously, you know, when his father and he had been planning to um, have the blessing for just him. What I'm saying is, you know, here he's saying, have you only one blessing? We didn't hear him crying out previously when Isaac said, you know, go get me some venison and bring it back and I will bless you. Did we hear Esau then crying and saying, oh, my father, but what about my brother Jacob? Have you only one blessing for me, father? Don't you also have a blessing for him? You see how he is sort of a uh, hypocrite here? Okay, the results. We're going to move right along because otherwise we'll never finish the lesson. Let's look at the results. And this is the longest section. We're going to look, first of all, at the results of this whole episode for Esau. Then we'll look at the results for Jacob, and then we'll look at them for um, Rebecca. because essentially we've already learned of the end result for Isaac. He was convicted of his sin, and he truly repented. And this is seen not only in the way that he handled Esau here, but also in the way he treated Jacob, especially at the uh, beginning of Genesis 28. He handled, I mean, there's no indication of anger with Jacob from his father. He knew that he was the one who had sinned, really. So he doesn't blame Jacob. He treats him very um in a very godly way. So so Isaac finally dealt with both of his sons in a godly way, doing what he really should have done much, much earlier, taking a firm stand with them about doing God's will. So that was the end result for Isaac. But let's look now at the result for Esau. And read with me verses 39, to, 39 and 40. It says, And Isaac his father... <clears throat> Answered and said unto him, unto Esau, Behold, now here's a blessing that he does have for Esau Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Here, Isaac, by faith, remember it told us that in Hebrews eleven twenty, by faith he did have a prophetic word for Esau, which, of course, includes Esau's descendants. So this isn't just for Esau, it's for the Edomites, the, the nation, the people who would come from Esau. However, you know, when you say the word blessing, you usually think of something good, don't you? This, this was really not going to be a blessing which would make Esau feel a whole lot better. In fact, it was a very bleak blessing, if you could even call it a blessing. Now, there are three parts to it. They involve the soil, the sword, and the servitude. And servitude, I should say. There, now, with regard to the soil, there are two views. This gets, a, for a minute here, it gets a little complicated, but don't worry about it too much. There are two views based on the interpretation of a little Hebrew prefix. I think it's only two letters in the Hebrew. And that little prefix can mean either of or from. So there's two views on the reading of verse 39 regarding the land which would belong to Esau and his descendants. Now one view... Says that Isaac was telling Esau that he would dwell in a region away from the fertile and well watered area of the earth that was given to Jacob. And most modern uh, commentators take this view that he would live away from. The good, moist land. And they argue that the land of Edom, which is the land that Esau and his descendants inherited, that the land of Edom is a dry and desolate wilderness kind of a land. Now, the other view interprets the Hebrew prefix, as the King James does here, as of... Rather than away from. So they say that Isaac was saying, of the fatness of the land and of the dew of heaven would Esau dwell. In other words, that he would dwell in good, fertile, moist land. And they point out, those who have the second view point out, that the Hebrew is exactly the same in this verse, verse 39, as it was over in verse 28 where Isaac had told Jacob, thinking he was Esau, that God would give him of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. So you see these people that say it means of, just like the King James says, they have a valid argument here because they say it would be inconsistent to interpret the Hebrew one way in verse 28 and a different way in verse 29. Well, then, someone might point out, as I just told you, that the land which Esau did inherit, the land of Edom, which was, is uh, near Mount Seir, that it is a dry and desolate land. So it doesn't match this description, you know, if it's of the fertile land and of the, the, the dew of the heaven. You know, that it just isn't true. It's a dry, desolate land. It isn't a fertile, moist land. However, <clears throat> just because the condition of the land is that way today doesn't mean that it was always a dry and desolate land. In fact, in Malachi 1.3, it says of that land, it says of Edom that God, quote, laid his mountain and his heritage waste. So that means that Esau's heritage, this land, was not originally desolate. But God laid it waste in punishment, you know, for the Edomites' sin. So, there's, you know, pro and con in both views. And it's nothing to get uptight about. (laughs) And I did a lot of research on this. um, And I, I can't really tell you which one is right, which one. I guess I would go probably more with the second one just the way it says in the King James. But at any rate, whichever of the two views is correct, for a man who didn't care a whole lot about farming <laughs> and uh, uh, the fertility and moisture of his future dwelling, you know, this was not something really that a cunning nomadic hunter would be overly excited about hearing. Yet, uh, if he thought that the blessing might improve, you know, after hearing about the land that his descendants would inherit, he was in for a shock because this is the good part. It only gets worse after this. The second part of the blessing was not good news at all. It has to do with the sword. It says... um, by thy sword shalt thou live. Now, it might have been good news if Isaac had said, By thy quiver and bow shalt thou live. Because Esau loved to what? He loved to hunt. But to be told that he was going to live by the sword, well, that was bad news. Because it's a terrible way to live. I mean, you wouldn't want your father to say that. You know, on his deathbed, he wasn't really on his deathbed. But well, you wouldn't want that to be your blessing, that you're going to have to live by, your, by a sword. It was really an indication that Esau's, uh, Esau and his descendants were going to have very little peace. It also predicted ungodliness, because it's the ungodly who live by their swords. In fact, how long do we have to wait before we see this really comes to pass? I mean, no sooner were these words spoken than Esau was ready to pull out a sword, wasn't he? On his own brother. And throughout the Old Testament, we find that this prophecy actually comes, came true. Edom constantly appears as a militant nation, very often hostile to his brother Israel. Do we see that still going on in the world today? Yes, we surely do. So we find that the quote-unquote blessing Esau had begged for really wasn't much of a blessing at all. But the worst was yet to come. If you think this is bad, it only gets worse. The servitude, this is the part that really got his blood boiling. In total contrast to what earlier in the day Isaac had expected to say to his eldest son and in total contrast to what Esau thought he would hear from his father and yet in total agreement with what God had prophesied some 75 years earlier Esau was told that he would serve his younger brother and he was also told and this this is the one good bit of news in here he was also told that there would be a time of reprieve i mean there would be a time when he would be able to loosen his yoke from Israel and we know from history, that this did come to pass precisely as predicted. It came to pass with both Esau, because Esau really never did um, serve his brother. It also came to pass uh, with his the nation that descended from him, from Edom, because there was a t- time... When Edom was able to break its uh, yoke from Israel and gained some independence, when jo- Joram was king of Judah. But that's another story. And I won't get into all of that, but it did come to pass. Okay, now let's look. We've looked at the results for Isaac, we've looked at the results for Esau. Let's look at the results for Jacob. And uh, for this, I'll just go ahead. We're going to look at two parts. First of all, we're going to look at the danger, and then we're going to look at the. Um, The dismissal. Let me just go ahead and read the whole thing. Verses 41 to the beginning of 45. Starting at verse 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. So does that tell you he liked his blessing or didn't like it? He didn't like it. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Does that sound familiar? Obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee and he forget that that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. We'll stop there. First of all, the first result for Jacob of this whole episode was that of danger. Um, The idea of Jacob ruling over him was absolutely something more than Esau could bear, especially since he prided himself on his power and his manliness. Furthermore, he was furious with Jacob for having taken his blessing, even though, as we've already mentioned, it wasn't Esau's blessing at all. It was Esau who had attempted to take the blessing from Jacob. So at any rate, Esau comforted himself, tells us in verse 42, he comforted himself by plotting in his mind the murder of Jacob just as soon as their father died. Now, you know, it's a sad day when someone's comfort comes through thoughts of revenge and murder and even the murder of his own brother. But this is the situation here with Esau. He's comforting himself, thinking, I'm going to get revenge. Now, since a 137-year-old Isaac had mentioned his own death to Esau earlier in the day, he mentioned it actually twice, Esau thought that the days of mourning for his father were at hand. In other words, that his, his father did not have long to live. What he had failed to gain with his venison meat, he was now plotting to gain with his vengeful murder. You see, once once Jacob was dead, well, first of all, once Isaac was dead, and then Jacob was dead because he would kill him, then who would get both the birthright and the blessing? Esau, the only son remaining. So the first result of his Genesis 27 episode for Jacob was that of grave danger. I mean, his life here is in danger from his very own brother. Well, apparently, Esau's plan was voiced a time or two, unless Rebecca, you know, could read minds, but it must have been voiced. He must have gone around sort of bragging about it to, to maybe... Maybe some of the servants, and perhaps one of the servants heard of it and reported it to the queen of the family, to Rebecca. Unless she could read his countenance, I don't know. You know, maybe she, she saw the anger in his face and and figured out what he was going to do. You know how mothers are. Maybe she saw that face and put two and two together. But at any rate, Rebecca got word about what he was going to do, and she immediately, as she had done before. When she was eavesdropping, she immediately sent for Jacob and told him what his brother was planning to do to him. Now, either she didn't know that Esau was going to wait until Isaac's death, or else she didn't want to take a chance that he might get impatient and kill Jacob even before Isaac's death. Because, uh, we, we figure this because her command was so urgent. You know, she was essentially telling him to leave for her brother's place. Who's her brother? Laban, Uncle Laban, Jacob's uncle, Rebecca's brother, she's telling him to leave right away. Now, of course, if you think about this, if Rebecca had waited and if she had trusted the Lord to take care of the son whom he, the Lord, had divinely chosen, do you think God would take care of Jacob? Yeah. She would have found out, if she'd waited, she would have found out that everything would have worked out. How much longer did Isaac live? (laughs) Another 45 years. Okay? And do you think that Esau might have cooled off by then? Yes. We find out he cooled off even after 20 years. But Rebekah, you see, did not take the problem to the Lord, did she? And she didn't trust the Lord to work it out. She was the same old Rebekah, you know, a woman of action. It was good when she was a woman of action and she went ahead and watered all the camels way back when and lighted off the camel, you know. <laughs> that, that all was good. But uh, now all that is, is working bad because she isn't trusting the Lord. She's thinking she has to help him out. So she didn't take her problem to the Lord. Neither did she confide in her husband about the situation. What does she do? Again, she just takes the matter into her own hands. And this time, her plan results in Jacob's permanent dismissal from herself. So the second uh, result for Jacob, the first one was danger. That was caused him by his brother. The second result is his dismissal, and that is caused him by his mother. Rebecca told Jacob once again... As we saw before in verses 8 and 13, now this is a dominant woman. Because right? remember, her twin boys are 75 years old in this scene. <laughs> and she's saying here, obey my voice. Her plan this time is to send him away, you know, to her former home, some 450 or five miles, 500 miles away. Her former home in Haran, up in Syria, to stay with her brother, Uh, Laban, And how long does she think he'll have to stay up there? What does she say? A few days. Well, folks, we'll learn next year, but you already know that a few days turned out to be more than 20 years. Little did Rebecca know that her plan was going to serve as punishment both for herself and... And for her son, Jacob, because she would never again see him in this life. And Jacob would reap what he had sown because he would be greatly deceived by an even greater deceiver than himself, his uncle Laban. So one result of this episode for Jacob was that he had a monumentally disturbed relationship with his twin brother, you know normally twins are very very close his twin brother now hated him so much that he actually wanted to kill him now another consequence then was that he was to be sent some 500 miles away from his family and he would be able to take very little with him so he would lose the wealth and the influence which he had known all of his life because he grew up in a very very wealthy family And he would serve another man vigorously for some 20 years, repeatedly reaping the deception that he himself had sown. You know what would happen later on in Jacob's life? When he was older, would he again reap what he had sown? Yes, because his own sons would deceive him just as he had deceived his father. His sons would deceive him regarding his favorite son, Joseph. Where did he learn that parental favoritism thing? Uh Uh-oh. It goes around, comes around. Remember his parents' parental favoritism? And he had exactly the same problem. He should never have favored one son over the others, but he did. So he would all his life reap what he had sown. Now, in our study next year of Jacob's life, we're going to get into a lot greater detail, of course, about the consequences that he suffered for not having trusted the Lord to accomplish his will in his life. And that'll be probably most of the year we'll be studying Jacob. I don't know. I don't know how long it'll take. We may get into Joseph, too. But anyway, let's turn now to the result for the last person in this family, the result for Rebecca. Okay, very quickly, she had two results, the deprivation of her sons and the division from her husband. And let me just read the last part of verse 45 and verse 46. Rebecca says, um, after after she talked about, well, let me just read all of verse 45. Until thy brother's anger turn away from me, you know, go away, and he forget that thou hast done what thou hast done to him then I will send and fetch thee from thence now here's the part that we're talking about why should I be deprived also of you both in one day who's she talking about there both sons Esau and Jacob and then verse 46 and Rebekah said to Isaac her husband I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth who are they Esau's wives okay If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? For trying to work out God's will without God's help, and for coercing her son to lie and deceive, Rebekah was also faced with some difficult consequences for her sin. When she was attempting to convince Jacob... uh, of his need to leave because of his brother's murderous hatred of him, she asked the question, why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? You you see, she already knew that she had suffered the loss of Esau's affections and trust by her part in the deception. So she'd lost, she knew she lost Esau. He would never again love his mother as he had before, never again trust her. And now she knew that if Esau succeeded in killing Jacob, she would lose both sons in just one day. As it was, she did not lose Jacob because of his death. You know, She didn't lose him because he was killed by his brother, but she did lose him because of her death. We find out that she died before she ever saw Jacob again. So her question, why should I be deprived also of you both in one day, could be answered by God, you know? Could be answered by God. God could say to her, because you volunteered, Rebecca, to take the curse for the sin of deception upon yourself. Remember when she had said that? And this is your, t- your part of that curse. You are to be deprived of both of your sons in one day. Is there a consequence for sin? Yes, and sometimes it is a terrible, terrible consequence. Well, it's sad to see that Rebecca again resorted to deception with her husband. Rather than going to Isaac and explaining what Esau was planning to do with Jacob, what does she do? She keeps that information from her husband. I don't know what her thinking is here, but she doesn't tell Isaac about the plan that Esau was going to kill Jacob as soon as Isaac died. So in order to get Jacob away from Esau, she whines. <laughs> now, we, we don't do that, do we, to get our way? But, but she whined about her daughter's-in-law. Ooh. <laughs> and how she would despair of her life. I mean, who should she be concerned about at this point? She should be concerned about her sons, both of them, really. But she's despairing of her own life. She said she'd despair of her life if Jacob also should go and take a wife from the daughters of Heth, you know, the Hittite women. It was another deception on her part here. Although she would have surely, you know, if we'd asked her, she would have surely justified her words by saying they were, you know, true. This was very true. You know, she would just grieve again in her mind if Jacob went and took such a wife. But yet, she was not telling Isaac the real reason behind her complaint. She didn't tell Isaac that she was going to use him to get Jacob off to her brother so that he would be safe from his brother. And actually, if you think about it, Jacob probably would have been a lot safer with his brother (laughs) than with her brother, (laughs) because I think Esau would have cooled off, and we know God would have protected him from Esau, so he would have been safer with his brother than with her brother, but that's another story. So, but what she did is she used the necessity for Jacob to get a wife from their own people up in Haran as her excuse. She disguised her goal just as earlier she had disguised her son. And the sad thing is that Rebecca did not see how her craftiness here caused her to lose both of her sons in one day and how it also caused division from her and her husband. And this, this is really sad because this is the last recorded time in the scripture that we see Isaac and Rebecca together. And it's, I think it's a shame. You know, they had such a wonderful beginning. And it's a shame that the last time we see them is under such a circumstance where she is deceiving him and not telling him the truth, the situation. Sin reaps terrible consequences. That's the primary lesson of this chapter, isn't it? The attempts to bypass God's will, which we saw in Isaac, and the attempts to ignore God's will, which we saw in Esau, and the attempts to even help God's will, although by deception, which we learned about in Rebekah and Jacob, all of these led this family, and remember, this was a believing family, Except for one member, it was essentially a Christian family, we would call them. It, all these attempts to change God's will, alter God's will, ignore God's will, led to a web of confusion and deceit and distrust and anger and, um, and secrecy until this family was what we would call a divided family. Sons were divided from their parents... Brothers, even twin brothers, were divided from one another, and even husband and wife were divided from each other in their relationship with each other. Not physically, but, you know, emotionally and um, mentally, and, and, well, not really spiritually, but they were divided in their relationship. They didn't have a close relationship when they're each trying to deceive each other. So sin results in suffering and pain, does it not? And sin results, it it reaps devastations and, and destruction and division. Not just for the people who are immediately involved, but also for future generations. So is sin a serious matter? It's the ultimate serious matter. The only good news that we have, really, about the situation in Isaac's family, this divided family, the only good news is that because of Jesus Christ, at least three members of this family are together again and will be throughout all of eternity. And those three are even in the direct ancestral line of the Lord Jesus himself. And that is grace, is it not?